Vishnupad Paramhamsa Parivraja Kacharja Astotara Shishi Mad Asi Bhaktivranta Swami Shri Srila Prabhupada Ki Anantakota Vaishnavrinda Ki All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories, all glories to Shishi Guru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Nama Om Vishnupadaya Krishna Vasaya Bhutalashamati Tamankashva Swami Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Oma Gyana Tibaranda Shya Gajana Jana Shalakaya Chakshurul Mitam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guru Namaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatit Swapadatikam. When will Srila Rupakaswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, 
Give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa terubia shakripasanubievicha. Patitanam pavanebio vaishnavebio namonamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadhadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today is Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. And we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 6, Conversation Between Narada and Vyasadev, Text 38. Aho devarshi danyo yam yat kritam sargadhanvana gayan madhyanidam tantra ramayatyai aturyam jagat. Aho all glories to Devarshi, the sage of the gods, Danya, all success, Ayamyat, one who, Kirtim, glories, Shingar, Davanya, the personality of Godhead, Gayan, singing, Madhyan, taking pleasure in, Idam, this, Tantra, by means of the instrument, Ramayati, enlivens, Aturam, distressed, Jagat, world. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. All glory and success to Srila Narada Muni because he glorifies the activities of the personality of Godhead. And so doing, he himself takes pleasure and also enlivens all the distressed souls of the universe. Purport. Sri Narada Muni plays on his instrument to glorify the transcendental activities of the Lord and to give relief to all miserable living entities of the universe. No one is happy here within the universe, and what is felt as happiness is Maya's illusion. The illusory energy of the Lord is so strong that even the hog who lives on the filthy stool feels happy. No one can be truly happy within the material world. Srila Muni, in order to enlighten the miserable inhabitants, wanders everywhere. His mission is to get them back home, back to Godhead. That is the mission of all genuine devotees of the Lord, following the footsteps of that great sage. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the first canto, Sixth chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam entitled Conversation Between Narada and Vyasa. So we finally um, finished chapter six of the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's taken us a while to get here since, you know, um, due to the pandemic, we didn't have class for a while. So today's verse, um, we're going to sum up what we've been talking about in the sixth chapter. Generally speaking, the the final verse of each chapter is mainly a summary of the entire verse or the entire chapter. But the three main points that we're going to discuss today is glorifying the Lord, happiness in the material world, and the mission of the devotees. 
So in the purport, Prabhupada says, Sri Narada Muni plays on his instrument to glorify the transcendental activities of the Lord. And there are many ways to glorify the Lord, and we've discussed this in the last few classes. Um, you know, we can speak on his transcendental pastimes. We have the Krishna book that um, we can read and we learn all about Krishna's pastimes. But the entire Srimad Bhagavatam is filled with pastimes and stories and glories of the Lord, of Krishna, of God. So just reading, um, discussing these transcendental pastimes, that's glorifying the Lord. When we sing kirtan, bhajans, we're glorifying the Lord. And when we do our own personal mantra meditation, japa, that's also glorifying the Lord. When we offer what we're going to eat to Krishna before we even eat it, and then eat what we call the remnants of spiritual sanctified food called prashadam, that's also glorifying the Lord. And for many of us, that's our favorite way to glorify the Lord. Because we all have to eat, and so we might as well eat something that's nice and tasty that we've offered to the Lord, and that's spiritualized and sanctified food. And why are all of these things important? Why is it important to glorify the Lord? Why is it important to speak about Him, to share stories about Him? And we can move on to the, where Prabhupada says in the purport, no one can truly be truly happy within the material world. And because of that, that's why we want to glorify the Lord, because we want to find something that's more permanent than the material world. In the purport, it says, you know, it's, it's illusion. Happiness in the material world is illusion. And you can say, well, I feel it. It's not illusion. It's illusion in the sense that it's temporary. We want to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. And we all pursue what we think will make us happy. Um, so, like, we think that, you know, when I get this thing, then I'll be happy. When I get a big house, then I'll be happy. When I have a nice family, then I'll be happy. When I become a doctor, then I'll be happy. That happiness is always dependent on something else. Something outside of us, right? Some achievement, some material possession, um, friends, even family. We all kind of depend on other things to be happy. But that's the thing. We're pursuing happiness. Nobody says, I want to be miserable. I want to be sad. So I'm going to pursue misery and sadness. Nobody does that. We know that those things are going to come. We don't have to pursue them, right? In some ways, we have to pursue happiness because otherwise it is all misery, but even when we get happiness, it's temporary, right? If you want like a big house and then once you get it, it's like, okay, now what? You know, after a while, it doesn't really bring happiness. It's just like it's there. So then you pursue the next thing. And that is why it's an illusion because it's temporary. It's fleeting, you know, as, as fleeting as pain and misery is, that's just how fleeting happiness and joy is. So there's part of the reason why, you know, happiness is so elusive in the material world is that there's so many things that are coming together, right? I'm pursuing my happiness. And sometimes my pursuing something that will make me happy might take it away from someone else. Or it might be perceived that way. Um, 
And also sometimes we see that if other people are happy, we, we might feel threatened or envious and think, oh my God, that's going to take away from my happiness. So we are all living here on this earth together. And sometimes we intentionally try to take other people's happiness because we think somehow or another that'll increase our happiness. You know, right now we have so many things that are going on in the world that, that, um, really puts a damper on our happiness, right? We've got the pandemic the virus that's out there. And even though we're getting back to normal as far as going out, getting back to work, you know, small gatherings, things like that, the the virus is still a threat. It's still out there. It's still um, the numbers of cases are going up. The number of deaths related to coronavirus is still going up. So it's not like it's gone away. So that threat is still hanging there. You know, I've heard, I hear from so many people, yeah, everything's opened up, but I'm still going to be cautious. I'm only going to go to work and, you know, get groceries. I'm not going to go to social events or things like that. So people are still very cautious because they know that this, um, there's this big threat to their happiness. And even during the pandemic, so many people were unhappy because they were stuck at home by themselves. Um, or sometimes, you know, I've heard stories of, they're stuck at home with their family, which they weren't used to. <laughs> so, um, you know, our families, um, you know, one of the things people pursue in terms of happiness is family, and sometimes that can be a source of um, distress as well. And then, so it's, our happiness is, is um, cut short, or it's dependent on other things, because... We have three sources of misery in the material world. We have miseries due to other living entities, right? Like how we are with each other, the drama we cause, the, you know, um, how we speak to each other. That's the other thing that we're seeing, a big thing that we're seeing that came out, right? Um, All this uh, racism has been coming out to the surface and how... You know, we all have our the prejudice and bias, and part of that prejudice and bias is that fe- need to feel better than others, right? We want to feel superior or have more power or have more control, and so therefore we try to make other people feel less than. And you know, that's kind of the basis of prejudice and biases. And we, you know, we uh, judge people based on these kinds of assessments, right? Like people see me and they see an Indian woman. And, you know, I'm like, well, I'm so much more than that, right? I'm a doctor, I'm intelligent, I'm a devotee, I'm this and that. But when the first impression that they get when they see me is that. And so many assumptions can be made from that, right? Like so many times people have said to me, oh, you're pretty light-skinned for an Indian. Well, you know, Indians come in all colors, shapes, and sizes, um, I've heard, oh, you speak really good. You don't have an accent. Well, I have an accent. It's just the same as yours because I was born and raised here, right? So there's so many assumptions that are made just by the color of my skin and how I look. And we make those same assumptions about different people, right? I might come across somebody and, you know, make an assumption based on how they look, what they're wearing, um, things like that. And that's because that's where... Um, that's how we've kind of relate to the world. And sometimes, in some level, it's okay to make, have those kinds of like biases, but recognize them. And then make the effort to get to know somebody, right? Like, 
that's the big thing in Krishna conscious movement, right? We say God is a person and we have a personal relationship with him. But we also have a personal relationship with each other and we can't have personal relationships with each other for making assumptions and jumping to conclusions about each other. In order to actually have a personal relationship with each other, we have to get to know a person. And, you know, I'm Indian, but I don't represent every single Indian person on the planet because we're all unique. Everybody is unique, and it doesn't matter what um, background we have, what ethnicity we have, you know, how we're raised. We, we're all unique in our own ways, and so it's really creating that personal relationship. And we won't get along with everyone, and that's fine. But just because I don't get along with one person doesn't mean that everybody of that entire similar background and history is going to be the same, right? So the next time I come across a person that might have a similar appearance, it's still up to me to make uh, that effort to get to know that person and, you know, find out who they are. So that's misery caused by other living entities. We have misery caused by nature, right? It's getting hot or it's hot here in Texas now. And, you know, sometimes it's cold and sometimes there's rain and hurricanes and tornadoes. And sometimes the weather is beautiful. And, you know, if we base our happiness on something that's fleeting like that, and the Bhagavad Gita says the non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress is just like the changing of the seasons, and one does not get bewildered by that. So we don't want to have these things um, put us into distress or misery. None of this stuff is what it's dependent on. And then um, nature. So and then it's um, miseries caused by our mind. And this is the toughest one. Because honestly, all the other miseries are based on this one misery, the misery that we place on ourselves. You know, it's it's kind of like we have to make a decision of how we're going to interact with the world. Our thoughts and our desires um, determine how we feel happiness or distress. You know, the stress is there. The occurrence is there. The weather is hot. Whether I choose to be miserable because the weather is hot or just accept, okay, the weather is hot, you know, change my plans accordingly or act accordingly. Because there's nothing I can do to change that. And so, you know, if I feel so much like, oh my God, the weather is hot and it's miserable, then that's the misery that I'm putting on to myself. Even though there's an external stimulus it's still my mind that's, t- you know, deciding how I'm going to react to that external sim- stimulus. And then our happiness is affected by the three modes of material nature. We have goodness, passion, and ignorance. And in chapter 18, Krishna um, explains this. He says, now please hear from me about the three kinds of happiness by which the conditioned soul enjoys and by which one sometimes comes to the end of all distress. That which in the beginning may be just like poison, but at the end is just like nectar, and which awakens one to self-realization is said to be happiness in the mode of goodness. And there's so many things that are like this, that, you know, when we first start doing it, it's like poison, it hurts. It's, you know, when you go start exercising at first, it hurts, you're sore, you're, you know, it's, tiring. But when you continue to do it, you actually start to feel better. Your body works better. Um, you'll find that you become stronger. 
you're able to do more. So then it becomes more like nectar. It can be relished it, relished as well. Um, just like meditation. Sometimes meditation can be difficult to do, right? To sit down. I hear so many people, oh, I can't just sit down and do nothing or just, you know, um, concentrate. I mean, even after so many years of chanting, it's still hard to sit down and chant and not do anything else but focus on the holy name. And as beautiful as the holy name is, and as much as I want to relish that nectar, it's hard because <clears throat> you sit down and you start to chant, and all of a sudden you're thinking about all the things that you have to do. Um, I always joke that I kind of have to survey the area that I'm going to be chanting the night before because if there's even like one thing out of place, it doesn't bother me any other time of the day, but when I'm chanting my rounds, it's like, oh my God, that has to be put away. All of a sudden, I become like a master cleaner when other times of the day, it doesn't, you know, it could be a complete mess and it doesn't bother me. But at that moment, I'm trying to chant, I'm trying to concentrate. That's exactly when, you know, that one item being out of place or it's like, okay, let's start cleaning up now. And then that's just, even if everything externally is in place, then it's like, oh, I have this to do, and I have this to do, and, you know, it's like the mind is so, it wanders so much. Um, Arjun describes it, it's easier to control the wind than it is to control the mind. It can be done, though, gradually, by the um, devotional process, especially if we focus on, throughout the day, you know, focusing on different activities. The more mindful that you you practice the mindfulness that you practice throughout the day, the easier it is to calm the mind and focus. And I find this is really um, to be true. I also find the less time that I spend on my phone, like let's say I've been busy and I've just not had a chance to pick up my phone or get on Facebook or play, you know, games on my phone, I find that it's easier to focus my mind. So right now we have so many distractions that take make it so difficult to focus the mind, um, and that actually increases our distress and takes away from our happiness. Krishna goes on to say that happiness, which is derived from the contact of the senses with their objects, and which appears like nectar at first but poison at the end, is said to be the nature to be of the nature of passion. And this is kind of where most of us experience happiness. Right, we get something, let's say, um, piece of chocolate cake. I mean, it tastes so good at first, and you're like, "Wow!" And you just want to eat more, and you just relish and enjoy and overindulge. But then you kind of start to feel sick, you know, all that extra sugar and other um, stuff, you know, flour that's in the cake can start to weigh heavy. You might feel bloated, you know, you might have issues with diabetes. So it, it can become like poison at the end, even though in the beginning it was so sweet and so good. And then Krishna says, and that happiness which is blind to self-realization, which is delusion from beginning to end, which arises from sleep, laziness, and illusion is said to be of the nature of ignorance. So happiness and ignorance is, you know, you're kind of even not even realizing that, you know, you're not really happy. And this can be from intoxication, Excessive sleep, you know, you're kind of not really in touch with what's going on in the real world, um, even as far as the illusory real world, right? So you're just trying to numb yourself from all of that, and that's illusion, that's happiness and ignorance. 
And then the conclusion is the most important is transcendental happiness, that which transcends the modes of nature. We want to be happy because it's our nature to be happy. We are naturally full of bliss eternally. It's not temporary. And that's why when we have temporary happiness, it's even more distressing for us because we know like in our heart of hearts, right, in our soul of souls, that our nature is to be happy and have that happiness eternally. In the Nectar of Devotion, Prabhupada says, happiness derived from pure devotional service is the highest because it is eternal. Happiness derived from material perfection is inferior because it is temporary. And that's really what the big issue is with happiness in the material world, is that it's temporary and it's inferior. And um, happiness in the spiritual world is, is superior because it is permanent, it's eternal. And that's what we really want to get in touch with. And we do that by glorifying the Lord, by realizing our relationship with Krishna, with God, because we each have a personal, unique relationship with Krishna. So we want to pursue that. And we do that by learning more about Krishna, by reading about Krishna, by hearing about Krishna. Like we talked about prashadam, you know, we, we fill our body with Krishna. We fill our thoughts with Krishna. We chant his glories. So all throughout the day, we're glorifying him in these different ways. And that's what Narada Muni is showing in his example here, that he, you know, all he does all day long is glorify Krishna. And, you know, um, he doesn't worry about happiness because that's just automatic. That comes. It's par for the course. It's our nature. You know, if we're in touch with who we are, we don't have to spend excess amount of time pursuing it. So when we understand this, this is the key to self-realization. And, you know, a, it says a wise person doesn't uh, bother themselves with what that which is temporary, you know, for the sake of the permanent. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to neglect everything here in the material world. You know, we still need to take care of our, you know, of our family, of ourselves, of our duties, you know, keep up with our duties, keep up with what we're supposed to do, but never lose sight of what is the most important, what is permanent. So it's okay to pursue our um, duties, not for the sake of happiness, but because, you know, we have to fulfill our time here. We have to fill our time here on this earth, and we want to fill it with the right activities. And our duty to take care of ourselves, to maintain ourselves, maintain other people, maintain our family, that's our priority, right? And we want to do that in such a way that we're not causing distress to other people, that we are able to get in touch with who we truly are. And um, that is servants of Krishna. In Bhagavad Gita 5.21, Krishna says, A liberated person is not attracted to material sense pleasure, but is always in trance, enjoying the pleasure within. In this way, the self-realized person enjoys unlimited happiness, for they concentrate on the Supreme. So it doesn't matter what we're doing. If we're internally glorifying Krishna, in touch with our relationship with Krishna, 
we're naturally going to feel joy and other people are going to feel that joy with us because we're just going to emanate that. That's how a devotee is. You know, when we come into contact with a pure devotee, we can feel the power, the, the, um, radiance of Krishna's love just beaming from them, right? When you see, even in pictures of Prabhupada, you can see that when he smiles, he's just like beaming love for Krishna and compassion and care. So, when we have this knowledge that the material world is no sane, is no place for a sane lady or gentleman, when we have this knowledge that the happiness that we have here is temporary, and there's so much misery that comes along even with the happiness or without happiness, that people are suffering because of this, right? They're suffering because of the three um, things that we talked about, the three causes of suffering, our mind, um, other people, nature. So people are suffering. And as devotees, we care for that. We want to make sh- to help people. We have something that can help people, and we want to give it to them. We have this prayer that we say every day. We say it maybe, you know, sometimes people say it when they see each other. And it's that I offer my respectful obeisances to the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord who are just like desire trees and are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. So that's a, a key um, quality of a Vaishnav, of one who is surrendered to Krishna, is they feel compassion for everybody. And that's where... Prabhupada says in the purport, that's the mission of all genuine devotees of the Lord following in the footstep of that great sage is to spread this knowledge of Krishna, the glories of Krishna to everyone in the material world because everyone is suffering and everyone can benefit from this information. Prabhupada said, preaching is the essence. And he's emphasized this importance of preaching many times. He calls it our main activity our most important business. He often says that preaching comes first. And he said, I want everyone to become first-class preachers. In Bhagavad Gita 1868 and 69, Krishna says, for one who explains the supreme secret to the devotees, pure devotional service is guaranteed. And at the end, they will come back to me. There is no servant in this world more dear to me than them, nor will there ever be one more dear. Krishna's saying is one who explains the secret of Krishna consciousness to other people, to other living entities, is the most dear to him. And if we're on this path of Krishna consciousness, we don't have to be perfect in our path in order to, to share this knowledge with other people. Krishna says, if you are sharing this knowledge with other people, I am going to give you pure devotional service. I guarantee you the pure devotional service, and you will come back to me. Just share the knowledge. And sharing knowledge of Krishna is a great way for us to even get a better understanding. Because when we have to explain it to someone, then we kind of understand what we don't understand and what we do understand and what we need to study more or ask questions about. You know, it's when someone asks you a question in your mind, you think you have you have the knowledge or you have the answer. But then when you try to explain it, you're like, oh, wait, I don't. And 
you know, I think I know I've come across that many times. And then I'm like, oh, let me ask someone else. And then you hear it and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And you're able to make the connection even more. So sharing knowledge is a great way to increase our own knowledge of Krishna, of, of you know, the glories of Krishna, of his transcendental pastimes. You know, I can read a story, and then sometimes I try to tell that story, and then I was like, well, something happened, and something else happened. And you're like, I, I don't understand this story at all. It's because when I read it, it didn't quite, you know, nothing really connected, but the more I, I tell other people, then that story... Um, becomes more a part of me and I can understand that story better. So if I'm sharing like a pastime of Krishna and I'm, you know, trying to explain like why he lifted the Govardhan Hill and I'm like, oh, for some reason it was raining. I don't remember that part. You know, it's hard for someone else to understand it. That means I need to understand it better in order to explain it. But I don't know that I don't understand it because in my mind I can see it, but then to be able to explain it is different. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, chapter 9, Lord Chaitanya is describing the desire tree of devotional service. And he's agreed to tend to this desire tree with the goal of filling the whole universe with love of God. And this tree grew massive with many branches and sub-branches. And the fruit of this tree is devotional service. He says, the fruits ripened and became sweet and nectarian. The gardener, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, distributed them without asking any price. So devotional service is distributed freely. You know, we give it to everyone. It's available to everyone. Not everybody's ready for it, but everybody can have access to it. And we have to make sure of that, right? We can't be like, oh, this person's too short. We're not going to talk. We're not going to um, give them Krishna consciousness. You know, this person's... Uh, this way, you know, we're not going to give them. It's available to everyone. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's ready for it, but when they're ready for it, it should be easily accessible to them. Not considering who asked for it and who did not, nor who was fit and who unfit to receive it, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu distributed the fruit of devotional service. The transcendental gardener, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, distributed handful after handful of fruit in all directions. And when the poor, hungry people ate the fruit, the gardener smiled with pleasure. So Lord Chaitanya is passing out devotional service, and we're using this metaphor of fruit. You know, I can just imagine him passing out, like, what, mango, right? Mango is, like, one of the most awesome fruits ever. And so he's passing out this nectarian fruit of devotional service to everyone. And it says, the poor hungry people. And, you know, that brings a certain image to mind. But honestly, every single one of us are poor and hungry for this devotional knowledge, whether we know it or not. And that's what makes it, you know, that's why we're poor and hungry, because we are lacking this essential knowledge of who we are in our relationship with Krishna with God. And so when we are, you know, in that state of ignorance, we're hungry for something. We're constantly seeking some type of happiness and we don't get it. No matter how much money we have, how many possessions we have, we're poor 
because we don't have this relationship with Krishna. So when the poor, hungry people are eating this fruit of devotional service, you know, they're, they're feeling satisfied. They're feeling, they're getting wealthy, right? Because they're getting this knowledge. They're, that knowledge is their source of wealth. Lord Chaitanya says, I'm the only gardener. How many places can I go? How many fruits can I pick and distribute? It would certainly be a very laborious task to pick the fruits and distribute them alone. And still I suspect that some would receive them and others would not. Therefore, I order every person within this universe to accept this Krishna consciousness movement and distribute it everywhere. Lord Chaitanya is pleading with us. You know, he's saying, how much can I do by myself? I need everyone, all these branches and sub-branches of this tree that is our disciplic succession. Everyone in this line of um, devotees that are connected to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's pleading with us to distribute this devotional service. He says, I'm the only gardener. If I do not distribute these fruits, what shall I do with them? How many fruits can I alone eat? Lord Chaitanya is stressing that, you know, by ourselves, we can only enjoy so much devotional service. We can only enjoy so much pleasure. And distributing these fruits, you know, this nectar of devotional service spreads it. And everybody gets to enjoy it. Everybody gets to feed their hunger and feel wealthy by getting this devotional service fruit. And, you know, you know, like if you have an overabundance of mangoes, after a while they'll get ripe and go bad. You can only eat so many. So it's great to share it with people. And that's what Lord Chaitanya is saying. Like he can't do it by himself. He needs all of us. He's, you know, he's calling us to action. Like, yes, you know, look at what Krishna says. Krishna says, if you share the knowledge, I will automatically give you devotional service. So if we share fruit, we're going to automatically have our own fruit. So it's not like we have to hold on to it and, and you know, be miserly with it. If we share it freely, more will come. He goes on to say, distribute this Krishna consciousness movement all over the world. Let people eat these fruits and ultimately become free from old age and death. One who has taken birth as a human being should make their life successful and work for the benefit of all other people. It is the duty of every living being to perform welfare activities for the benefit of others with their life, wealth, intelligence, and words. By one's work, thoughts, and words, an intelligent person must perform actions which will be beneficial for all living entities in this life and the next. This was the mood of Lord Chaitanya. This was the mood of Srila Prabhupada, our founder, Acharya. You know, Lord Chaitanya could have been like, well, you know, I'm really relishing this devotional service and my my relationship with Krishna, and I'm just going to um, hang out here in Jagannath Puri, Nilachal, um, and just chant and meditate. Right? He didn't do that. Prabhupada didn't say, I'm just going to hang out in Vrindavan, retire and chant and, you know, really delve deeper into my own spiritual relationship with Krishna they didn't say that. They said, no, we have to give this to everybody because the whole world is suffering from this lack of knowledge. And it's our duty. This is the highest welfare activity that we can do because 
it's what's lacking. You know, yes, we need to feed the body and clothe the body and, you know, have shelter from the storm for the body. But we also need to make sure we're not neglecting that which is permanent, the soul, who we truly are. And as followers of Lord Chaitanya and Srila Prabhupada, we are duty-bound to share this message of Krishna consciousness. We also have to remember that we don't want to put anybody in distress, that not everybody's ready to hear it, but it's okay to plant a seed. It's okay to just listen. It's okay to hear about how someone is suffering and feel empathy for them, right? It's a whole thing called empathetic listening. And this is just to listen and hear what a person's saying, validate them in their feelings. And they don't necessarily need advice or want advice. But if you listen, I found many times that if I'm listening to someone talking about something that's distressing for them, and you're just like, you know, that's tough. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. You know, how can I help? What can I do for you? Then a lot of times, you know, they just start asking questions like, you know, how do I get over this? What do I do? You know, how do I manage this? And, you know, sometimes it's it's still important to find out if they're really wanting to hear advice or if they're still just venting or they just want to be listened to. And you can test that out. The, The more you know a person, the more personal relationship you have with someone, the easier for it is to know, you know, where where they are at. I've heard it said, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that's really all it's about. If we have compassion and we care for someone, we, you know, we want to be able to present this Krishna consciousness in a way that they can accept it, digest it, um, make it a part of themselves. But we don't want to shove it down their throat. You know, we don't want to force it on them. Because that's not what love is about. You can't force love. And that's the basis of Krishna consciousness is love for Krishna. It's our own personal relationship for the, with God. And when we love Krishna, who is the source of everything, then we naturally feel love and compassion for everyone because we're all connected to him. And there's many ways to preach. The best way to preach is by example. The best way to share Krishna consciousness is to live by example, is to embody the teachings, to embody the um, mood of Krishna, of Srila Prabhupada, the mood of Lord Chaitanya, right? So we want to focus on our own practices, our own sadhana, chanting, reading, doing devotional service, eating prasadam, relating to each other and loving um, ways, right? Loving, compassionate relationships with each other. And then we can preach according to our skills, talents, and availability. If somebody's really good at talking to strangers and giving them a book, that's great. Do that because that's what you're good at. You can go up to someone, talk to someone, and make them feel like, you know, they're your, they've known you forever and you feel like you've known them forever. You connect. You're easily able to connect and they, they're like, what are you about? You know, they're, they're ready to take that book. Definitely do that. That's a great skill and you, you want to harness that. So do. Other people are really good singers or musicians and they can sing and compose songs that spread the glories of Krishna. 
Some people are really good cooks and can make tasty prasadam. But whatever it is, you know, people, like I said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But they also want to see that you're authentic. You know, it's not like I'm telling people, oh, don't eat meat, fish, or eggs, and then I'm doing it myself. But I'm like, no, but, you know, theoretically, I know this is really good for you, so you should practice it, but not me. Um, That's not going to help spread the message. So obviously, we want to make sure that we're, um, our Krishna consciousness is, is strong and solid. And to some extent, right? We're always, we're not always, but we are on this journey and on our path and we're all at different places in this journey. Um, but we're all on the journey. So someone may be a little bit more advanced and someone may not be, but in either plate way, we can just share this realization and knowledge to the extent that we've realized it, to the extent that we've embodied it. And, you know, even say like, I know that this is one of the things like to be equal, um, steady, have equanimity, whether whatever is going on. And I'm working on that. You know, I'm, I'm doing these things to work on it. I'm making sure I'm chanting. Then even though I'm not perfect in my, you know, path of Krishna consciousness, I can still be an example because I'm acknowledging what I'm working on and that, you know, it's not just that giving up, oh, that's just who I am. And, you know, that's, that's how it is. So it's like, you know, working on my strengths and, and sharing that. Sometimes people really like it when you're vulnerable and they feel like they can relate to you more. So if I'm like, oh, this is all easy and perfect. And somebody else will like, well, this is super hard. And, you know, I don't think I can do it. But when they hear your struggles, they can relate to that. Oh yeah. Wow. So you have this struggle of, you know, like every time, someone would say something, you would get really defensive and you're working on it. I have that same struggle. So they relate to you and they see that there is, it gives them hope. They can see that there's some answer that there is, you can go above and beyond it. You know, if you, I've often been told, well, you know, it's easy for you to not eat meat because you've never eaten meat. Um, and so they see that I'd never had that struggle. So for them, they have that struggle and they, you know, they feel like I can't relate to them. So I can find other ways to relate to them. Well, yeah, I know you had difficulty, you have difficulty giving out meat. Well, I've had difficulty giving out this to eat and, you know, find a way to relate to them and work on, you know, that. So the key really in sharing Krishna is, you know, working on our own relationship with Krishna and working, making sure that we are steadily improving and progressing on this path of Krishna consciousness and freely speaking about Krishna. You know, I've often, I've never like, um, made it known amongst friends outside of the uh, temple or outside of my devotee friends that I'm a Hare Krishna devotee. But sometimes they'll ask, oh, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, I see you that you, you know, that you've gone to the temple or they'll see my posts of my deity dressing and they'll ask about it. And when they ask about it, I freely answer. Um, 
keeping in mind who I'm talking to and what information they're ready for. So, you know, I'll give them a little something and then they might ask for more. And then from there, they may ask for even more. And so it's like I can really open up a lot more to them about who I am and what I'm doing and why I'm doing this. Why do I feel it's so important? And then they, they become interested. Oh, where can I learn more? How can I learn more about what you're doing? Or sometimes it, um, if they already are practicing a faith of their own, sometimes it helps them to become even stronger in their own faith, um, to find that love within their own faith with God. Because we're all, you know, children of God, and we all have different ways of approaching Him, as long as we're approaching God. So, you know, I would say to sum up, sum up, this material world is a place of misery. Happiness is temporary. And as a result, you know, we're all looking for something. So as compassionate um, people, we want to have this information of Krishna consciousness available to other people, to those that are seeking it. Um, even those that may not know they're seeking it, you know, if they're talking to you or if you come across them and they're feeling misery, just, you know, you can plant a seed. You don't have to preach them the whole Bhagavad Gita. You can say, wow, you know, just by being a little empathetic, um, showing them a little love and compassion, you can plant a seed that way as well. And finding out what your, what skills you have and talents you have and using that for Krishna and to help you know, serve Srila Prabhupada in the mission of Lord Chaitanya of spreading this nectar of Krishna consciousness of devotional service all over the world or all over your little world, wherever, you know, you're part of your, um, your bubble may be. So that's all I have for today. Dharantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.